understanding how components of food that might be missing or processed out contribute to health and how we need to add those things back. If you feed them, they will come. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 164 of the Biohacker Babes. I am Lauren, tuning in from Maryland today, joined by my sister across the country in Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hello. 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 Um, I ate some chocolate before this podcast. Now I'm really excited that I did because I feel like our guest today kind of hammered home. Is that a thing? Hammered home? (laughs) Hammered down? Uh, To eat more, eat more chocolate. All right. We we gave you the whole whole episode. There you go. Eat more chocolate. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Okay. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) <laughs> All right. We got a guest for you today, Dr. Chris Damon from Super Gut, formerly known as Munique. So if you are familiar with the, am I saying that correctly? Munique? Munique. M-U-N-I-Q. Yeah. Munique. It is a super gut formula. They have shakes, they have bars, they have a fiber supplement. What you really need to know is this episode is all about fiber and how it is very, very, very most likely the missing ingredient in a lot of our diets. It is essential to gut health, microbiome health, metabolic health. And I think you are going to be so, so glad that you tuned in and learned from Dr. Chris today. He had a lot to share on the importance of the microbiome and and some strategies that we can employ to really kick up the strength of the microbiome. Yeah. I loved all the information he shared about I mean, fiber resistant starch, like I'm definitely sold on all of that for the gut, but I have to say, I'm not always the best about getting all my fiber in and it's you know, really hard. It Sometimes is. Sometimes I, I really send all my attention there and then I'll count. And I'm like, wow, even like when I try my hardest, it's still it's like two, maybe 25 grams. Yeah. I mean, to get the 30, you, you definitely need vegetables or, I mean, unless you're doing a lot of beans and lentils, which I don't really do because of the tends to be a lot of carbs for me, but I, ha- if I don't have vegetables at breakfast, lunch, dinner, like I'm not going to hit my fiber for the day. And I'm definitely guilty of sometimes skipping that at breakfast time or whatever. So anyways, I love that he has a solution for us to be able to get this in. And as he says, you can have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> it's Hell yeah. kind of, apparently the bars taste like cake. So (laughs) you really can have your cake and eat it too. But yeah, I'm really excited to try the products myself and to see how I feel with, you know, being more or feeling more full after a meal, supporting healthy weight, supporting my glucose. I'm excited to test with that. Pretty fascinating Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. I was really curious to learn from him because I've had a lot of clients that have used super gut and I've seen you know, still with eating the same foods, maybe not the highest quality foods or more of a standard American diet that with the products, there was really a dampening of the glucose response. And 
you know, on the podcast, we're not fans of band-aids, but he actually explains what's going on here. And there actually is a benefit even when still eating those foods. And they have an amazing cohort on the website about using the products with cereal, right? Bagels. Cereal, bagels. What was the other one? I'm just going to scroll back down. Yeah. I'm just thinking Something else crazy. Yeah. I, I just had another idea is, you know, usually when clients tell me, they're going to some kind of social event or party, you know, how do, what, what do I do? And my first recommendation is always get some protein, fat, fiber in before you go. Cause at least you're setting your body up to, if you do have a little bit of a treat or some extra carbs or alcohol, it, it will help a little bit, but I'm like, what if you could just drink one of these shakes before you go out? Mm-hmm. How easy is that? Yeah. Better or easier than, you know, splitting open an avocado in your car. <laughs> which I have been known to do. And then, you yes. know, it gets all over my clothes. <laughs> I so look like a, a little, a little cleaner. <laughs> so it's a little bit. Did you all find right. the other food? Did you scroll? Oh, I started to, and then I, you know, Oh, I distracted. Got distracted. Oh, here it is. Bagel and juice, flaky corn cereal, crispy rice cereal, and a baked biscuit. And with super gut major dampening of the glucose response. And, and like super stable, 42% blood sugar reduction. That was the highest one. And a reduction in A1C overall, which is what mainstream medications for diabetes are doing. So add in a delicious shake or bar or fiber mix. And I think we're all going to be a little bit happier. Anyways, yeah, lots to learn today. Dr. Chris is awesome. Here is a little bit more about him. Dr. Chris Damon is a gastroenterologist and chief medical and scientific officer of Supergut. He has a passion for evidence-based approaches to food and gut microbe interventions and the promotion of health and the treatment of disease. He spent five years leading the Gut Health Microbiome and Functional Food Initiative at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where his research interests focus on the role of diet and microbiome-targeted therapies in treating gastrointestinal, metabolic, and neurologic disease. Most recently, Dr. Chris helped execute a randomized blind placebo-controlled study validating the use of resistant starch to transform the gut microbiome. The first of its kind from a functional food company. They were doing amazing things. And yeah, Yeah. let's talk about the gut. I just will say one more thing. It's just awesome to uh, chat with a gastroenterologist that is addressing the gut microbiome with food and nutrition. Yeah. Rare. Awesome. Yeah. Rare. All right. Here we go. Welcome Dr. Damon or the man. As you said, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah. Thank you, Renee and, and Lauren, for the invitation. Yeah. It was a near miss. We were just in Seattle and such a great surprise to find out that you are indeed in Seattle right now. So we enjoyed your land very much, but we are back in New York and Vegas. And so covering the country today with this conversation. Nice time to visit Seattle. The sunshine is is actually here this time of year. Yeah, I've never been in Seattle at any other time of year. So I'm just going to, you know, remain ignorant. I'm like, Seattle's beautiful all the time. Yeah. (laughs) What rain? There was no rain. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we have to soak up for vitamin D while we can. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're really excited to have this conversation. We talk a lot about metabolic health and we're excited that gut health and metabolic health are being talked about more and more, definitely starting to show up in mainstream media. I always get excited when they say microbiome or metabolic health on the news. You're like, oh, 
we're infiltrating. It's awesome. But I do think there's still a bit of confusion about what metabolic health is. A lot of, you know, traditional doctors will run lipid panels. They don't often review metabolic markers or how it is affected by our nutrition and the gut microbiome. I know this is a really big question to kick it off with, but how are metabolic health and gut health linked? And why are they both so essential for overall health? Yeah, I, I think it's a really important question. It just speaks to uh, the microbiome in general uh, at the core of health. And, and certainly metabolic is a huge piece of it. Uh, immune health and, and actually brain health are also really important. But diving into the metabolic piece, we could go all the way back to antiquities and Hippocrates. Some might call him the sort of origin of modern medicine. And he said that the gut is the root of all disease and followed that up with let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. I think that's as true today as perhaps it was, you know, several thousand years ago. And I think that the the medical community uh, and and actually uh, the general community is, is certainly uh, embracing that in a, in a bigger way. And what's enabling that is the microbiome. Uh, the microbiome provides a really powerful lens for understanding how food is impacting the body at large. And food uh, certainly contains you know, the proteins, the fats, the sugars, even the micronutrients that are really important for the cells in our body. Maybe where we haven't focused as much and where we now have really powerful tools to understand is how that food impacts the microbes in our gut, their cells, and then how the microbes in turn impact us. One could think of the microbes almost as partners in health, and they produce factors that some of which you can get in the diet, so amino acids or B vitamins, but other things that you can't and that are only really supplied by a healthy microbiome, a microbiome that's consuming things like high fiber foods or fiber supplements. Those things may not roll off the tongue quite as easily as B vitamins or amino acids, which are you know the building blocks of proteins, but are just as important. And so those are things like butyrate, which are a type of short chain fatty acid. Butyrate, you might think of as one of the microbiome superpowers, uh, just as one might think of fiber as the microbiome superfood. And butyrate is is probably certainly not the only, but one of the, the key uh, molecules that's impacting health at large. The medical establishment, the scientific community recognizes the importance of butyrate in the gut and, you know, promoting a tight gut or preventing leaky gut uh, and the implications of bacterial products getting into the bloodstream and causing inflammation. Uh, but butyrate is a, a pretty amazing molecule that, that actually gets absorbed into the bloodstream as well at much lower concentrations, but it's still there and it's still biologically relevant. And so circling back to your question, <laughs> it was a big question, so there's a big answer. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I expected that. <laughs> How, how the heck does the microbiome impact metabolism? Well, it impacts metabolism by creating these molecules derived from certain foods that the microbes like to make, and butyrate is one of them. I'll trace just one pathway that will give you a very clear example of how those microbial metabolites impact metabolism specifically. So there are key members of the microbiome that make butyrate. Butyrate is one of the key fuels for the cells lining the gut, especially in the colon and the lower gut. And 
those cells in turn make a hormone uh, called GLP-1. GLP-1 is actually a, a blockbuster drug uh, that's used to treat diabetes and blood glucose control and actually weight loss. And there's a combination of GLP-1 with a different hormone, GIP, uh, that just received an FDA approval for an indication in weight loss. And it's maybe one of the first in a couple of decades. Really, really, really big news. And I think it was on the order of 20% or more weight loss uh, that was seen. So these are really, really powerful hormones that the gut is producing. And we don't think of the gut as a hormone organ, but it is. And it might be one of the biggest ones. And it's through these hormones that are being produced that metabolism is regulated in part. So that GLP-1 that I talked about, so microbes to butyrate to GLP-1, that circulates in the body. That regulates uh, the pancreas and release of insulin. It regulates how the stomach empties the food that we eat, how quickly that happens, the so-called gastric emptying time. And that's really important to how full we feel. And it also directly regulates uh, satiety, which is how full we feel that's mediated by our brain, our, our central nervous system. Um, and those are just a few of the ways that GLP-1 is working, traced back to butyrate and, and the microbiome in food. I can list many more, but this has already been a <laughs> So let me stop here. Uh, awesome. I'll take a pause. Thanks. Yeah. And yeah. It, I, yeah, it's a complex topic. Um, I have yeah. a specific question about butyrate. I mean, the research is pretty profound on it, but with so many people having gut dysbiosis and all kinds of issues, can the average person even make butyrate in the gut? It, it's a it's a really good question. And there are quite a few studies coming out now that are showing associations between low butyrate or low microbes in the gut microbiome that produce butyrate being associated with many diseases like autoimmune disease or metabolic disease, uh, neurological disease. There's a lot of connections there. These are correlations, they're connections, just that. It uh, doesn't prove causation. And the literature around uh, providing butyrate as a therapeutic in people is is much more sparse. There's certainly animal models that uh, suggest that there's therapeutic benefit there. Um, of just adding butyrate like as a supplement. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, and that's certainly a strategy. And I think a strategy that needs to uh, be studied more. Uh, but what I'm equally intrigued about is is nature's way and and how we might be able to enroll our partners in health, our sort of microbial factories in our gut uh, to produce butyrate naturally, naturally in the right place in the right amounts at the right time, you know, under the right regulation. And the jury is out on at this point the degree to which you can simply give the right food for the microbes and and they'll grow. Uh, maybe they're present at low level amounts. And I, I, I'd say that's certainly a big part of the solution. Maybe the biggest part is, is if we can give these these fibers, if you feed them, they will come type idea, uh, right? Uh, but <laughs> Yeah, I love that. If you yeah. feed them, they will come. That's a great if you feed, It's slogan. like Field of Dreams, right? <laughs> yeah. If you build yeah. it, they will come. Yeah, It's very hopeful. I'm just picturing all these microbes out on the baseball field now. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. you're saying food is more powerful than supplements and 
I mean, maybe it's less expensive. Is there, what else is kind of in that environment? What other variables do we need to have in place to produce butyrate? And, and I guess how yeah. important is sleep? Cause I know sleep can affect downregulation of GLP-1. Yeah. I, I, so I, I wouldn't say categorically food is more powerful than supplements. I think in some cases, uh, supplements can be more powerful because they're concentrated. And, you know, mm-hmm. one has to distinguish between a butyrate supplement versus, say, a fiber supplement, um, et cetera. And, you know, different types of fiber better or not as good at making butyrate. So, yeah, I, I do think that that's a really powerful way of, in the majority of people, uh, getting butyrate. Uh, at higher levels and butyrate producing organisms at higher levels. There's probably a smaller portion of the population whose gut might be something like a bleached coral reef where that diversity is ravaged. And you can provide as much good fertilizer, so to speak, to that coral reef as you want. And it will never rebound to that beautiful, colorful, vibrant aquarium-esque picture that we all have in our minds. And in those cases, the minority people, uh, there are efforts and companies that are looking at providing some of these gut commensals, the organisms that are naturally in our gut, if they're completely depleted, not just at low levels. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the concept makes a lot of sense to me that if we can just feed the microbes and let them do what they have been doing for hundreds of thousands of years in humans. I mean, you can compare that to so many other things in the health world, right? Like instead of taking a synthetic multivitamin, maybe we just eat a whole food diet and let our body extract what it needs and kind of go through that. So instead of just jumping and throwing in, I guess, like a postbiotic, you're saying more, give the prebiotics, let the bugs do what they want to do. And that's where the magic happens. It's really well put. And we have this sort of paradigm that's been created of the pre- the pro and the post biotics. And yeah. it's super confusing. People are like, what the heck is a, you know, this like pre pro post biotic? It's confusing. But if I had to kind of choose which of those three approaches is going to be most powerful, it would be the bookends approach. So it'd be pre, probably number one, and post number two, and then pro uh, would be number mm. three. But in truth, combinations are really powerful. Yeah. It, it I wouldn't completely discount any of the approaches. Okay. That's a good answer. (laughs) Obviously there's a huge spectrum of gut dysfunction out there. So for the average person, which I don't know if you have statistics on that, like most people have some kind of gut dysfunction, correct? Like where do we start? If a compound is probably the most powerful, you start with all three or you're going to start with food. What else do we need to know? Yeah, I think some statistics say that, you know, upwards of a third of individuals, uh, one in three, have some sort of functional GI disorder, whether it be IBS or, you know, functional dyspepsia, et cetera. But how do, how do we begin to sort of promote uh, gut health back to maybe a healthy state and where, you know, it should be uh, in the first place? And I'm a big believer in diet. And Michael Pollan says, well, uh, he says, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. Uh, I think that's really good advice. You can make it a lot more complicated. Uh, and we've <laughs> <Yeah>. heard <laughs> yeah. pub- public health messaging for a long, long time around, you know, eat more of this or eat less of this. and Or this will kill you. What? Or this, <laughs> this will kill you. Yeah, yeah. But despite all of that, what's happening? disease, metabolic disease, non-communicable disease, obesity, diabetes, it's, it's only getting worse if you look at trajectories in a really, really scary way. 
So what's the solution? I'm a firm believer that there are complements to whole food approaches that will really help short circuit this problem. And I think that's where understanding how components of food that might be missing or processed out contribute to health and how we need to add those things back. And I think the microbiome and the gut provide a really powerful and and new lens for shining a light on which of those components of food are really critical. And now that there's tools available for understanding the microbiome, I think this will lead to a revolution in how we approach food, not dissimilar from you know, 100 plus years ago when we started to understand the macro and micronutrients of food, you know, proteins and carbohydrates, fats, vitamins and minerals. We will look back on the next 10, 20 years and realize that we've been missing key components that feed the microbiome and in turn feed us. Uh, and that that was probably a big part of the non-communicable disease, the metabolic disease uh, that we're seeing uh, growing. So this circles back, what is the solution? The solution is, is follow Michael Pollan's advice, number one, we should all do that. But I think there's a big role for maybe filling in the gaps of what's been taken out perhaps uh, with supplements. And I, I have this mantra, there's the, the four phonetic Fs of foods that feed the microbiome, and it's fiber, phenols, ferments, and good fats. And we can talk Ooh. about each of those. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. Can yeah. we start with fiber? Sure. Yeah. So fiber is great. Fiber is maybe one of the preferred prebiotics or foods of our gut microbiome. Fiber is essentially a carbohydrate, if you can believe it, to use maybe a bad word <laughs> in some circles. Oh, no. We don't allow carbs on this show. Biohackers <laughs> <laughs> no, don't eat carbs. <laughs> it's truly a carbohydrate. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's a carbohydrate that's resistant to digestion by our own enzymes. And one of the key types of fiber is resistant starch. And so the name is, is right there. Again, another really <laughs> a word that's been vilified, starch. Uh, but this is a starch of a different type. It's a type that doesn't contribute to spikes in blood sugar because it's not digested, at least digested by our enzymes in the upper intestine. It goes all the way through, mostly intact to the lower intestine where the microbes feast on it and they produce butyrate. And then butyrate stimulates GLP-1. GLP-1 has all these other wonderful effects. And, and that's just one pathway. You know, they make neurotransmitters and amino acids and a number of other really powerful uh, metabolites as well. So fiber is a really powerful way of enlisting our partners in health uh, in the gut, the, the, the microbes. Hey, biohackers. We just have a quick interruption in today's episode to tell you about something that is a game changer when it comes to blue light. So, you know, we talk about blue light exposure a lot on the podcast and how we really want to be getting outdoors, getting that natural blue light exposure, especially first thing in the morning, right? That's going to help get us energized and focused and increase our natural rise in cortisol for the day. But unfortunately, a lot of us are sitting inside on computers and tablets and phones and TVs, right? And we're getting all this artificial blue light, which is very damaging to our overall health, but especially for our eye health. We don't want to be straining our eyes all day with this blue light exposure because it can cause long-term damage to our eyes, but also like that eye strain, maybe you've experienced headaches or blurry vision or just that mental fatigue. So a really easy biohack for this is to wear blue light blocking glasses during the day. And that's where our friends from Felix Gray come in. 
which I am wearing right now. Not that you can see them because you're just listening to my voice, but they're nice because they just look like normal glasses. So if you don't like the crazy amber looking glasses when you're on your work calls or whatever, this is a really great option to protect your eyes during the day. Yeah, I definitely feel a difference and I am wearing my glasses as well right now too. I feel a difference when I do not wear them. Despite my best efforts, I am a a magnet to the sun, but I also have Zoom calls on my computer all day long. So I often can't get the balance of indoor to outdoor light like I want to. And if I'm not wearing my glasses, I do start to feel that fatigue, maybe brain fog, which I think a lot of us jump to. I need more sugar or I need more caffeine. Well, it could just be that your brain is exhausted from staring at blue light. So I think this is a really, really easy biohack that we should all be implementing if you are victim to these modern day stressors, like being in front of your computer, or even if you're on your phone a lot during the day, it does not hurt to try. And what we love about Felix Gray is that they're making some pretty stylish glasses. I think traditionally, a lot of the blue light blocking companies we're not really going for fashion. And I know that's not the most important thing. We just want to block the blue light, but that was a big commitment for a lot of people because you look a little bit different at nighttime. And I know I like to wear mine in the airports and on airplanes. And so I'm just really grateful that we are moving in the direction that we can look like we're just wearing normal glasses or glasses that, you know, fit our face and we have different styles and frames so that we can look stylish, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking these will be great. Even when I just go out, especially being in Vegas, like when we have friends in town and I'm out at the casino, gosh, the blue light exposure there is just horrific. So the fact that I can wear, yeah, some stylish glasses that people wouldn't even probably question, it'll be nice to be able to protect myself in that way. And they've also gone one step further. They have prescription glasses available. And I remember when this first came out on the market, the blue light blocking glasses, especially like dad, he would wear his like reading glasses, prescription glasses, and then wear his blue light blocking glasses over it. And it's like, we've got to fix this problem. And Felix Gray has done that. (laughs) You do what you got to do. Okay. But yes, yes, definitely happy. We're moving in the right direction. I do get that question a lot for my glasses wearing clients are the prescriptions. So yes, all in one, you can get it done, wear it. They are light. I've worn them to the movie theater. So if you don't want to go like full red or amber at night, I think you could wear these just to reduce a little bit. If you are exposed to a big screen with light and you still want to get home and go to bed. So I think there's many applications for it, but I would say you can wear these anywhere and no one is going to question you, even though I will suggest that you have these biohacking conversations and wear your red light glasses proudly. We can get by with Felix Gray. And when we have health and style all in one. Yep. And their lenses actually filter 15 times more blue light. So that's really how it's helping our eyes. And you can see true color despite the lens tint, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And the tint, it's actually built into the glasses. So if you get really cheap ones on Amazon, you'll notice you could actually scratch the color off of it, which is not, hopefully you're not going to sit there and scratch at them, but you could scratch it off. This is built into the lens. So it's a really high quality. And I feel like these are going to just last me forever. They're, they're awesome. Yes. So if you want to check out these awesome glasses, you can head over to felixgrayglassescom slash biohacker babes. Always easy to remember that, right? Biohacker babes. Excellent. Let's get back to the show. 
I could talk about specific fibers too, right? There's all fiber isn't created equal and some causes bloating and there's low FODMAP fibers and, and all of this. And that this is a really important part of the conversation because people, when they hear fiber, they're like, oh, that'll just wreck my gut. But it's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, people probably think yeah. like, I'm guessing like Metamucil powder. Exactly, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, or just psyllium husk in your water. You're like, oh, hold yeah. my nose. <laughs> Have you had psyllium before? It's just sure. It I definitely sludge. tried it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yes. <laughs> disgusting. Now, if there's it's, any benefits, not worth it. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you don't drink it within seconds, it turns into a solid. <laughs> it's like what? cement. It's yeah. Such a weird science experiment. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, and maybe you have a statistic on this. Like, I would imagine most Americans are not getting anywhere close to the amount of fiber they need. If you have a stat on that. A hundred percent. So there, there are actually good stats. This has been studied. The USDA uh, comes out with a report every year, or actually every five years, uh, but it was recently published. Uh, only 5%, 5% of people get enough fiber. And it's... Pr- wow. Uh, yeah. Stop right there, right? Like that's And huge. what's enough to you? I know Dr. Casey Means at Level says you need like 60 grams. I'm like, oh, that's a challenge. <laughs> She's the fiber queen. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it, there's different opinions and different ways of measuring this. I will say, if you look at sort of ancestral diets, hunter-gatherer diets, which were high in tubers and nuts and you know things that have high fiber, you're you're approaching you know as much as 100 grams a day, and we see that in uh, populations that still follow these lifestyles, like the Hadza in uh, Tanzania and, and other parts of Africa. So. Is there an upper limit? Well, you know, maybe hundred grams, but you know, maybe not. I mean, so like you, wow. you can go pretty high, <laughs> right? If, yeah. Um, but most people get maybe 15 grams. Sure. And what is recommended, and it depends on your age and uh, your sex and uh, your activity level is, you know, plus or minus around 30 grams. Uh, so there, there's a gap there of about 15 grams. You're only getting about half uh, as much as we need. That 30 grams is, there's studies that sort of look at thresholds where, you know, cardiovascular disease increases uh, below a certain amount uh, and then other, you know, diseases. And so that's why uh, this number around 30 grams is, has been chosen. But there's other ways of, of looking at this as well. And I would say 30 grams is a good starting point, <laughs> right? Mm, like, yeah. At least 30 grams, Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. that's a minimum. Yeah. I mean, to circle back to resistant starch, like the first foods that come to mind are like green bananas and cooled white rice, which doesn't really sound like a party on your plate. So like with those foods and just fat fiber in general, is there any chance of making eating fiber a little bit fun or is it all just work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really good question. And I mean, part of the reason that fiber intake is so low is the whole foods that's traditionally contain a lot of fiber, as you say, green bananas, you know, legumes uh, also tend to have uh, higher resistant starch in particular. They're just not as much a part of our diet and maybe not tuned to our current palates, which, you know, like processed foods, unfortunately, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're, we're used to, to eating, you know, delicious uh, candy bars and, you know, packaged goods and I mean, don't get me wrong. Cereal, fortified cereal, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, the the food industry has done 
amazing things for food insecurity and shelf stability. And this was very clear, you know, during my time at the foundation and foods like ready to use supplemental foods that came in foil pouches were invaluable for malnutrition. So we've really benefited from the uh, approaches to processing, quite frankly, that have enabled that shelf stability and cost of goods. But I think is a future where we understand the components of foods and how they're impacting the microbes in the gut specifically, that missing piece that we can, in a rational way, fold back in these things that are missing and have been processed out. And, and, and I think that's where you know, things like resistant starch come in. Adding those back, resistant starch is actually one of the better uh, promoters of butyrate, will stimulate that whole metabolic pathway that I was alluding to. And I think can make a really big dent in metabolic disease. Yeah. It, it's funny. I remember the first time I actually, I think, remember hearing about resistant starch. I had a client come into me maybe like 10 years ago and she said, Dr. Oz is recommending that I cook my rice and I put it in the fridge for an hour and then I pull it back out and I eat it. And I'm like, it sounds like a lot of work <laughs> to be doing that. But I mean, the research on resistant starch is pretty mind-blowing. I, I don't think we can argue that. So maybe you can start to share a little bit of the magic of what sure. you have created with Supergut <laughs> to make this easy for all of us, especially the, those of us that are only getting 15 grams of fiber a day. Uh, I might be guilty some days. <laughs> I might be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we all are guilty, even you know those that are steeped in this and, and know it well. And there, there is a ton of research around resistant starch in particular, you know, upwards of 200 peer-reviewed articles uh, showing impact on metabolic health. And at company, at Supergut, we uh, digested all those articles, so to speak, and come up with a fiber formula that uh, we think is super powerful uh, that involves resistant starch and several different sources, not just from green bananas, but other sources as well, which I think is really important because all resistant starch isn't created equal and diversity is, is critical. But also including other fibers like beta-glucan, uh, which comes from oats. And it's a really powerful formula that we've studied now and uh, in a couple different contexts. One, you know, in a small pilot uh, where we gave just that fiber blend nothing else uh, to individuals. And we showed a pretty profound decrease in the blood glucose spike that happens after eating high glycemic breakfast foods. So like bagels or it turns out Rice Krispies and rice milk is probably one of the worst things you can eat for spiking your blood sugar. And that data was uh, presented at the American Diabetes Association uh, just a few months ago at their, their big conference in New Orleans. And it's available in abstract form and, and uh, on the SuperGut website. But what I'm, I'm super excited about is uh, another large study. It's a gold standard study, a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial in almost 200 people uh, where we compared the SuperGut's fiber-based shake uh, to a very similar shake with very similar nutrient profile that was missing the fibers, right? So those were two arms. That was the, the, the missing shake, the fiber missing the shake was a placebo arm. We had one other arm uh, where we just provided the usual dietary advice. Like you go into a doctor, they say, okay, we'll go to this website and follow, you know, the recommendations there. Eat more plants, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> not too much. 
Not too much. Yeah. <laughs> Not too much. And we we saw some really interesting results, really profound results. If you look at the uh, shake compared to the placebo, there was a 0.7% reduction in hemoglobin A1C, which is kind of integrator of your blood glucose over the course of time, in this case, three months. And that's that's actually on par with a lot of diabetes drugs. And what was also really interesting is uh, the side effect profile was essentially nil. In fact, if you compare the intervention to the diet arm, uh, people's gut health actually improved. Um, and we measured this with a validated gut health scale. Uh, so, so pretty, pretty interesting. It turns out yeah. the diet arm actually worsened. <laughs> Maybe that's because people are having lots of high FODMAP uh, fibers. I mm. found that fascinating. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Talk about bad fibers. Interesting. And some people are so susceptible. It's pretty remarkable what you guys have created with Supergut. I was telling you before we jumped on that I have a client that was using it and, you know, despite my best efforts, and he really was very receptive to all my education about metabolic health and glucose excursions. He was like, listen, not going to change the way I'm eating. It's really important to me to like, you know, eat these sandwiches with like big baguette pieces of bread and ramen and you know, pasta he started taking super gut and it just all flatlined, not flatlined, but it definitely diminished. And in some ways it made me really mad. I was like, well, you're still, you know, potentially pulling in food toxins and GMOs. But if you're saying it improved gut health, you know, is that like, are, are we really kind of actually making Im improvements if we're not seeing, you know, the metabolic health or the, the metabolic excursions and gut health diversity population is better? Yeah, I think you key into a couple of points there. One is, you know, the importance of adding these things back and how that can make a difference and adding to what we're eating already as opposed to saying avoid these things. And, you know, products like like Supergut actually make that doable because they're they're delicious, right? And people enjoy them. And it isn't yeah, a sacrifice. It. <laughs> yeah, it's not a sacrifice. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you telling me I can eat or have my cake and eat it too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, and fight that. Yeah. I can actually, it's not a band-aid. It's helping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some people say that the, the bars, you know, some of them taste like candy bars. They're so delicious. Right. How so, did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's magic in the team and sort of master nutritionists and, and, and folks that really understand ingredients and how they impact our taste. But yeah, they're, they're, they're quite delicious and it just doesn't seem right that you're eating something so delicious and yet helping your health at the same time. Yeah. You've solved a lot of problems there with that equation. I, I'm curious with the fiber, um, you know, we see a lot of people with SIBO nowadays. I don't know mm -hmm. what's going on. It's just like on the rise. And it's hard with those people because, right, you want to put them on low FODMAP and then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you don't want to take them off all the fiber, but so many of the fibers are problematic. So how does how have you seen this work with SIBO patients? Yeah, so we haven't evaluated specifically in, in folks with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. But uh, what I can say is SIBO in some ways is kind of a subtype of irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, a big part of what's happening there is we're providing carbohydrates that normally are actually digested by microbes down in the lower colon, but because some of those bugs are in the upper gut, 
the fermentation happens sooner and that leads to bloating and diarrhea and GI symptoms like, you know, irritable bowel syndrome. And the really neat thing about the uh, super gut products is the fiber blend is low FODMAP, uh, meaning that uh, they're not prone to being fermented in the upper gut and causing these problems, especially in you know things like SIBO. Uh, and, and that's a, a designation that we worked with uh, actually Menashe University uh, in Australia. Menashe is the university that first studied and, and developed the whole low FODMAP uh, paradigm. And, and so we were super excited to, to actually get that designation from Menashe uh, on the fiber blend uh, that's in the products. And is that the fiber blend that's in the bars and the shakes or just the fiber powder? Yeah, so it, it's a great question. The fiber blends uh, in all the products is the same. Okay. Uh, and the the uh, the fiber blends alone is what has the low FODMAP designation. Um, we don't have that for the gotcha. other products, uh, but the, the components, the fibers that are in it are low FODMAP. Gotcha. Great. Incredible. What about children? Can they have this product? We haven't studied it in children, but it's these are all foods, right? Gender regarded as safe foods, and yeah, there's no reason. In fact, I've got I've got three lovely girls, actually four lovely girls, if I include my wife. Um, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta include your husband. Like, are you unsure about the four? <laughs> yeah, four, 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 four lovely women uh, at home, and uh, they they all uh, really uh, enjoy and, and <laughs> look forward to having a snack periodically especially with the bars. How old are your girls? Oh yeah. So, um, 11, eight and five. Yeah. Got the full range there. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. (laughs) They're great. No concern with increasing fiber being too much for like the little person's gut. Well, I mean, as I was saying before, uh, there's populations that had upwards of hundred grams a day. I think people are really good at self-regulating too, uh, their diet and, yeah, having having a bar as as a kiddo is is perfectly fine. Yeah, cool. Hey, biohackers! It is really hard to overstate how important magnesium is for all aspects of our health. But it's pretty awesome that so many people in the health industry are talking about the importance of magnesium. I mean, this even includes people like Dr. Mark Hyman and Andrew Huberman amazing people in the industry that we all look up to. And this is because magnesium is really essential to our health and our well-being. This is a huge problem today because magnesium deficiency can increase your risk of all diseases and keep you from performing optimally. And we really don't want to wait until we are deficient in magnesium. Even more critically, there's not just one type of magnesium. There are actually seven different types that we need in order to ensure both our health and vitality remain strong. Now, we are huge advocates of getting as many of our nutrients as we can through a real food, well-balanced diet. And it would be perfect if we could do just that. But in this case, it's almost impossible to get enough magnesium taken through our food alone because our soil is depleted of minerals and lacking organic matter, which really helps the plants get the food that they need from the soil. I've heard that if half a century ago we needed to eat one head of lettuce, today we would have to eat 50 heads of lettuce to get the same amount of nutrients. That is bonkers. Fortunately, Bioptimizers has an incredible solution. Yeah, their product, Magnesium Breakthrough, this supplement, it's the only product in the market with all seven types of magnesium, like I mentioned, and it's specifically formulated to reach every tissue in your body to provide maximum health benefits. 
The Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough gives you access to the full spectrum of magnesium, which can dramatically improve your overall health. It does things like reduce stress, improve sleep, reduces anxiety, it can even boost our energy levels. Really a broad spectrum of benefits. Yeah, I've personally seen a great improvement in my workout recovery and my sleep stats since incorporating Mag Breakthrough. And when I travel, it always makes the cut in my bag. Yep. I always have that in my suitcase for sure. Can't go anywhere without it. So right now, if you want to try Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough or any of the other awesome Bioptimizer's products that we love, for 10% off, you can just head over to magbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. That's magbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. We will link to that in the show notes for today's episode as well, so it's easy for you to find. And then when you're checking out, make sure you use code biohackerbabes10, and that will boost your intake of magnesium, and you can start feeling better right away. All right, biohackers, don't wait to be deficient. Start taking the best magnesium and improve your well-being right now. Just go to www.magbreakthrough.com backslash biohacker babes. All right, let's get back to the show. Since you're so steeped in this research, I'm curious what your kitchen looks like and what is your family eating on a daily <laughs> basis? For, like, what does your fiber intake look like on a really good day? Don't tell anyone I had pizza last night. No. <laughs> I love that so, you're human. <laughs> Tell us the rest. Yeah, I mean, diet's really hard. Uh, when you live in a, an environment, a community that, you know, is one way and yet, you know, kind of there's other healthier ways of, of being like, gosh, what if we were all foragers and yet that's not really a feasible uh, solution. So what I, I tend to follow uh, myself is, is really following the four phonetic Fs of food and choosing foods that are high in all those components as much as possible. You know, we all lead real lives. We all occasionally have fast food and that's fine. I, I think it's actually Michael Pollan that also says cheat every now and then, because <laughs> if, if we completely limit foods that might be less healthy, that probably just sets up a psychological situation for maybe actually sort of like a binge and then, you know, avoidance uh, cycle. Sure. So yeah. So I, I think the four phonetic Fs are, are a big piece of, of what I follow. And, and so you're eating a lot of seeds, like just like dumping them on top of everything you eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so seeds are great. I, you know, handfuls of, of nuts. I was just enjoying uh, my steel cut oats with dark chocolate. Dark chocolate is a wonderful source of fiber and phenols. You know, dark chocolate is is probably thank you. <laughs> yeah, like you're making her food. very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if you just sprinkle, you know, cocoa powder, that's like perfect. And the darker the chocolate, the better. Like sugar that's added, you know, isn't always the best. But fiber is a perfect food because it captures all four phonetic Fs, and it's yeah. one of the few that does that, right? So it's high in fiber. It's about cocoa powder is about fifty percent fiber. Uh, it's wow. high in phenols, polyphenols. There's, you know, this has been very deeply studied by the chocolate industry. So phenols, it's it's a fermented food. Not everyone realizes that chocolate is actually fermented. And gosh, it has good fats too. It's very high in omega-3. So it's- You're making it's, me so it's happy. It's perfect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, eat super good and chocolate. Awesome. <laughs> chocolate, yeah. <laughs> question about oats because you you mentioned beta-glucans are really important, but mm -hmm. one of the first things I see with my CGM clients is that oatmeal just tends to be disastrous. Oats and oat milk. 
And, you know, best case scenario, we add protein, fat, and fiber, and that helps diminish yep. the glucose excursions. But what do you think is really going on there? Like if there is fiber that's useful, mm-hmm. why are we seeing such a high excursion? Yeah, a couple of thoughts there. One, oat milk, the fiber content is super low and it's actually concentrated for simple carbohydrates. Not true for most plant milks, you know, rice milk in particular. Uh, and so they, they tend to have really high glycemic index. Nut milks may be a little bit different, like uh, almond milk, but a lot of almond milks have sugar added because they're not sweet. Um, so, you know, plant-based milks, one has to be mindful of the sugar content, both added and not added, uh, in terms of oats, I've got a question for you. When you see these spikes, is it in, uh, instant oats or, um, you know, quick oats versus say like a steel cut oat, uh, or do you see it universally across all types of oats? It's pretty universal though. I'll say most of my clients, like levels clients are doing steel cut oats because they're fairly educated and they're going to mm-hmm, choose mm-hmm. the best version of the oats. Mm-hmm. But it's usually, you know, first thing in the morning when your glucose is pretty vulnerable. Yeah. 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 And, and so one ways, uh, one of the ways of, of mitigating those uh, glucose spikes is what you add to the oats. So certainly you want to start with steel cut and steel cut that may be, you know, overnight oats uh, so that they have that there's additional resistance starch that you alluded to that that happens when things are cooled uh, after being heated. But adding things like nuts and, and seeds and, you know, even cream or uh, chocolate because it's actually high in fat can mitigate those blood glucose excursions and, and, and really help. And so what you add to those oats can actually be really important too. So the natural fibers before it's cooled is just not enough to offset if you're a carbohydrate. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is a lot of carbohydrate and oats. If it, if it weren't for those spikes and those natural carbohydrates, it would be a pretty wonderful food because it has resistant starch and beta-glucan. And it's kind of very similar to the formulation of the fiber blend and, and super gut, but there are a lot of simple carbohydrates there too. And for, for folks uh, that are really trying to limit that for whatever reason, let's say they have diabetes or, you know, other reasons for, for keeping their blood glucose low, that can be a problem as, as you allude to. And so one of the nice things about the supplement is it's comp- concentrated, right? Really, really concentrated for those good fibers without the simple carbohydrates uh, present. Yeah. Awesome. Hmm. Yep. I feel like you just have to experiment. There's so many variables like steel yeah. cut, quick oats with nuts, without all these, like, that's why you got to really test and figure out what works. And everyone's, everyone's different too, right? Everyone has different metabolism, different genes, different microbes in their gut. So working with a registered dietitian, uh, or working with a health coach is, is really, really important. Yeah. I've had some clients that can eat oatmeal and I look at their, their, uh, CGM data. I'm like, Hey, really? (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) And it's like, you win a prize. (laughs) Yeah. You have, so you've seen these companies that are profiling, uh, the gut microbiome, and then making specific recommendations on what can and cannot be eaten uh, for uh, spikes in blood glucose. So there's um, like there's day actually two. two day two and and Zoe both. Oh, are, I haven't done that. Very one. similar things. Yeah. Cool. So Zoe's also a stool analysis, and then they're looking at the microbes for that. Yeah, yep. that is really interesting. Actually, Lauren and I we both did day two the same time, and we got CGMs, and we were together for a couple of days, so we were comparing on the app what different foods we're saying. And then we tried 
I don't know. Pineapple was always like the most memorable one that like my glucose went whoop and yours was like not terrible, but, um, yeah. and we're sisters. So we have yeah. you know, some similarities only two years apart and yeah, it's pretty like, accurate from stool test to CGM. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it's, that's great. It's, it's cool that you had that, that personal experience too. I, I also, you know, was one of the guinea pigs, so to speak <laughs> with, with, uh, day two and, oh, um, cool. yeah, no, no, um, the, the founding scientists very well, uh, from uh, time at, at the foundation, we developed a nice friendship. Awesome. Always nice to experiment on yourself. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be a guinea pig. Cause then I get all the data and I can know what I'm supposed to eat. So oh, <laughs> that's yes. right. I'm up. <laughs> Yeah. I have a question about fasting because you did mention a lot of the focus is on removing and we want to make sure we're adding back in the good stuff. What's your general opinion on fasting to kind of reset the microbiome? Yeah, so it's a great question. There's there's a ton of research happening right now in fasting, uh, especially in, in diabetes, uh, metabolic disease, prediabetes. And I will say that the data is 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 really interesting and, and somewhat compelling. And there's different types of fasting, right? There's intermittent fasting and even intermittent fasting, there's, there's different types there. You know, are you completely avoiding eating some days of the week or, you know, are you just eating within this time block? And is that time block in the morning or the evening? And a lot of, it, it, it's not a one size fits all type uh, approach, but there is a theory uh, in metabolic disease and, and weight gain that uh, surrounds this idea that uh, these glucose excursions, so high high glucose, leads to a release of insulin, and then insulin leads to deposition of that glucose, those glucose calories, largely in fat cells in the form of fat. And there's a lot of debate as to whether that hypothesis is is true that these you know glucose s- spikes are what are contributing to metabolic disease and, and weight gain. But one might theorize that. During intermittent fasting, you're you're essentially uh, resetting that mechanism uh, and preventing those glucose excursions, so that in some ways the the metabolic system is calibrated. And we could sort of wax away philosophically and think about, well, how did our ancestors eat? And they probably didn't have a constant supply of food like we do, and you know, couldn't open the refrigerator and yeah. um, <laughs> enjoy a swig of orange juice, you know, every hour of the day. Um, <laughs> Right, twenty four seven access. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. in the fridge at two a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that there's there's probably something to that. I mean, I'm a big believer in wisdom tradition, and that we need to tap into that more uh, than we currently do. In fact, one of my last initiatives at at the Gates Foundation was around fermented foods and tapping into the wisdom traditions of Africa. Uh, in Asia around fermented foods and understanding how traditional uh, cultures use those foods and actually in very rigorous ways, uh, scientifically validating uh, their impact on health in women of childbearing age. I and I, I kind of, I put wisdom tradition into a similar bucket. Like if you look at a lot of advice that's given even within say like religions uh, around the world, there's often a fasting component there. Uh, yeah. around holidays and maybe there's there's something you know to that in terms of the biology of it who knows yeah yeah so interesting i, I almost always yeah. ask our guests whatever they're talking about i'm always like okay well how did our ancestors do that but i didn't even have to ask you because you answered that in the beginning when you said they were eating a lot of tubers and things but yeah there's so much ancestral wisdom and you're reminding me of a book um sally fallon's book 
Mm-hmm. Do either of you remember the name of that one? It sounds similar to what you said. Oh, I can't find it. Oh, I'll have okay. to link to it I in the show it. notes. Bend over. I feel like you practically <laughs> said the name of the book and what you just said. It's all about the different fermentation practices from around the world, basically. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I want to look it up. Super neat. Nourishing yeah, traditions. To... Nourishing traditions. That's, That's awesome. It. I'll have to read that book. I haven't, I haven't heard of that. It's um, intense. <laughs> what, one of my favorite books uh, is written by a colleague and friend, actually him and his wife, uh, Justin Erica Sonnenberg. Um, they're at Stanford. Uh, they have a, a microbiome lab. They're probably the leading thinkers in, in microbiome uh, as it interfaces with food in the world. And uh, they wrote a book called The Good Gut and delved deep into how fermented foods impact gut diversity uh, and health at large. And they actually recently published a, a paper uh, that shows how fermented foods in particular uh, lead to improved diversity in the gut and decrease inflammation in the body. So that's a really accessible read, not the, not the paper. For folks that want to get technical, they can read the paper, but the, the book, The Good Gut, is a really accessible read for understanding how fermented foods and high-fiber foods help. Awesome. awesome. I haven't read that. Link that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, good gut. Okay, I have one more question for you. Sure. Is it possible to have good metabolic health in absence of good microbiome health? Or would you double down on the microbiome as number one command? Excellent, excellent question. So keto is a big craze. And metabolic health by avoiding essentially carbohydrates and inducing ketosis can definitely be improved. And so if you look at all the different metabolic measures like hemoglobin A1C and cholesterol and, you know, uh, blood pressure, weight, yada, yada, yada. The literature is, is, is supporting uh, that very low carbohydrate diets, which are essentially uh, ketogenic diets, can be beneficial in some people with uh, medical supervision. And is that promoting gut health? Well, the studies that have looked at the microbiome uh, in ketogenic diets, there is a depletion of the key bugs that are making short-chain fatty acids. And that would be bifidobacterium and clostridium cluster 14a for those that that like technical terms. And there there is some some concern that there might be increased inflammation uh, in the gut, uh, and maybe there could be a higher risk of colon cancer uh, potentially and inflammatory bowel disease and some early signals there. So I think very low carbohydrate diets in certain populations are incredibly useful, but are they contributing to gut health? Maybe not. And is there a way that you can achieve ketosis and still have good gut health, perhaps through fibers that are not digestible? Maybe. Yes. And maybe this that's a big opportunity with keto, could, just adding in the fiber. Be. Yeah, It could be because the fibers will not, especially, you know, concentrated fibers, like say, for example, in super gut, they won't lead to uh, blood glucose excursion. They won't, you know, spike your insulin and they, they won't uh, take you out of ketosis. So mm-hmm. in some ways, this, this might truly be a way to have your cake and eat it too, right? And, and, and ketosis. And I have, yeah. I have this theory that, you know, in folks that have found themselves in the incredibly discouraging space of metabolic disease, where weight, you, can, you just can't seem to get it off. And you know, you have diabetes for life, 
or what do you do? I, I do wonder if there's a role for ketosis, you know, under medical supervision, uh, this population. And then, well, can you do a ketogenic diet for the rest of your life? Maybe. Is it hard? Yeah, super hard. And might there be long-term uh, benefits? Ramifications? Or ramifications? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I wonder, and this is all just hypothesis on my part, but I wonder if something like a very low carbohydrate diet could be a measure to get you back into short-term uh, metabolic health. And then maybe things like fiber supplements, you know, both during that and then continued beyond or what maintain that metabolic health. And you can go back to, you know, a more liberal diet, but you're, you're, you're kind of put back on track, right? And you, and you mm -hmm. use um, natural tools like fibers to keep you on track as opposed to just going back to your previous diet before. I think fiber supplements might play a really important role there, but we'll see. We'll see what yeah. the future holds. Yeah. Um, I think that's excellent advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. It'd be really cool to see some of the big carnivore supporters out there. If they added some fiber in, I don't know, lots, lots to see in the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Dr. Damon, we just want to ask you for one final piece of advice since you have done such a great job answering all of our questions. Thank you for that. But if you can leave our audience with something that they could start doing today to optimize their health and wellness, other than increasing fiber and doing, taking super gut. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. So we didn't talk uh, about uh, lifestyle factors at all. And, and just as there's the four phonetic Fs that feed your microbiome of food, there's also the four Ms of lifestyle to promote gut health and, and a healthy microbiome. Uh, and I call those four M's, uh, molecules, microbes, movement, and mind. It's a rebrand of things we already know with a really important piece inserted. So molecules, and for each of these, there's good and bad. Molecules are food and toxins, okay? Mm -hmm. We'll skip microbes. Movement is, is exercise or sedentarism, right? Just not moving, you know, playing video games too much, um, not getting outside. Um, so that's the exercise piece, food, exercise. And then a part that I think many people are keyed into now is mind. And that's both the good part of mind, which would be sleep and rest and meditation and music, you know, where you're giving your mind a pause and the flip side of, you know, depression and anxiety uh, where the mind is, is uh, an override. All three of these things have been shown in peer-reviewed research to profoundly impact gut health and the microbiome and vice versa, right? The, the road is two-way, it's a two-way highway. Right. I think what I'd love to interject into that tripartite approach to health is explicitly the micro piece. That's the fourth M, if, if you wanna call it that. And what does that mean? Well, that means eating things like fermented foods. It means gardening right? And getting out and exposing yourself to soil microbes that actually has been shown to increase diversity in your gut. Having pets, like, so pets in households, infants that have pets actually grow up to have less allergic disease. And if you look at communities that say are, you know, associated with farm animals versus not, there's also lower rates of, of allergic disease there as well. So, I think this is the missing dimension of health and making it explicit as that fourth M is 
is absolutely critical. And if I could leave just one bit of advice, it would be that. In addition to eat more fiber. Yeah. <laughs> and everything around. M's. Are you made me very happy today? I'm going to keep eating my chocolate, and my dog is going to keep sleeping in my bed. (laughs) And movement. Lauren's favorite is movement. So, yeah. 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 Wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Are you a a runner, or what's your preferred movement? I do a lot of mobility, kettlebells, and just functional movement. Yeah. Yeah. She just never sits. She's. We joke that even when she was well. I'm younger than her, so I don't remember it. But apparently when she was how old you were climbing out of the crib and at two years old, yeah, two years old, she's swinging on the restaurant things like out and about, you know, so our parents have said, she's just never sat still. She's the movement. Even now I'm step touching. (laughs) You're the one standing too, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. We're hard, hardwired to be the way we are. That's, it's one of the things about the diversity of, of, of us. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you spending all the time with us. Yeah, it was great fun. Nice nice to meet Lauren and Renee. Real pleasure. Yeah. Tell our audience where they can find out more about you and more about Supergut. Yeah. So if they want to learn more about the product and, you know, the shakes and the bars and and the fiber blend, uh, supergut.com. So it's one word, uh, supergut.com. yeah, in terms of me, I'm a gastroenterologist at the University of Washington, and I write uh, a little bit of a, a blog as well. And Supergut has a blog too. So, you know, gut is in all the names. So the good gut was a book I recommended from their friends. Supergut is the name of the company. Gut Bites is uh, one of the blogs. There's also the, the Supergut blog. So there's a lot of good source of information out there. Amazing. We'll definitely link to all of those in the show notes so they can continue their education. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. This is really a lot of fun. Very fascinating. My pleasure. Yeah. Yep. I learned Talk a lot soon. too. <laughs> and thanks to everyone that tuned in today. We will see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then... Happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.